God's word. Genesis chapter 3, starting at verse 4. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. You may be seated. Here at, here at Thornhill, we uh, value the Word of God as the only true source of guidance for our lives and truth in a world where so many things are only partly true. And uh, it's so important for us to study the Bible and to be familiar with the Scriptures. And there's no organization that has encouraged that more than the precept ministries. They go deeper into the word than just about anybody else I know. And this Wednesday here at church, there's going to be a, a precept conference where you can learn more about how to study the Bible in a deeper way. So we'd encourage you to consider coming and taking advantage of that because it will definitely help you in your study of God's word. We are involved in a series called Myths That Make You Miserable. This is part two. Let's just pray. Lord, we thank you so much that this is a place where you are honored, where we understand your place in the universe and in our lives. And uh, we don't come here to impress you. We come here to simply worship you because you have accepted us in Jesus Christ and you've given us privileges that we certainly are not worthy of. But we definitely enjoy them. And uh, we just are so grateful for that. And thank you so much for the way your word helps us to guide us through the dark ages in which we live and how the light continues to allow us to move ahead and find your way through these times. Lord, thank you for your word this morning and we just pray that uh, we would have open hearts and open minds to receive it. For we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Myths that make us miserable. There's a lot of talk today about uh, scams that people fall into, identity theft, uh, different kinds of fraud, and maybe some of us have been victims of that, and it's very, very difficult to recover from these attacks on us. It's, it seems so personal. And there's also ideas that we can buy into that will ultimately leave us bankrupt, even though in the beginning they sound good. 
The scams that uh, we're talking about have been around for a long time, but they still seem to work today. How is that possible? We began by looking at Genesis 3, where Satan got into a theological conversation with Eve, and in just two sentences, the devil first introduced doubt and then disbelief into their discussion. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? You will not surely die. Well, that blew Eve's mind. It left her disoriented. So Satan, having maneuvered her out of position, was ready to administer a killer spike. Verse 5, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Eve, you're so lucky. I ran into you. No one else will tell you the secret. It's classified. But I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Your eyes are going to be opened and you will be just like God. You'll be standing shoulder to shoulder with the creator. You'll be able to look him in the eye as an equal. This tree is the key to enlightenment and exaltation. Just imagine a life without any limits. You can be in control of your own destiny. You can decide where the boundaries are. Let's face it, Eve, you're a freshman. Your education has only begun. You don't even know what evil is yet. Well, this is your opportunity to graduate into the faculty of the gods. You think you could handle that, rookie? Your eyes are going to be opened, and you will be like God. Are you ready for that? Ready for prime time? Trust me, some of the best things in life are just outside the boundaries. True happiness starts after you get past the thou shalt nots. The creator does not want you to know the secret. He's protecting his turf. He's just bluffing. You will not surely die. Was this a, was this a bluff? You know, one of those things like maybe our mothers tell us and warn us. If you stick out your tongue at me, your face is going to freeze in that expression. Maybe we believed it the first time, but after a while we realized, oh, she's just bluffing. Don't have to take her seriously. Was God bluffing? You will not surely die, for God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. It's time for an upgrade. You can switch your service provider for free. So Satan made Eve an offer she couldn't possibly refuse. Everything to gain, nothing to lose. And Eve thought, well, perhaps... I mean, besides, I'm only going to try just this once. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. Mmm, it's delicious. That's the best papaya I've ever had. The serpent was right. I didn't die. 
So that must also mean that I'm going to be just like God. Wow. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. It almost sounds like Adam was right there, kind of an interested bystander listening in. It's sort of like going shopping with your wife. You don't have a talking part. You're just there for moral support. Yes, dear, anything you say, dear. But of course, Adam was not passive in this transaction because the Bible makes him responsible for the sin. We don't know what Adam was thinking, but he must have been fascinated watching this. Eve just ate some of the forbidden fruit and she's not dead. Maybe God was holding out on us. Besides, if anything goes wrong, I can just blame her. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, just as advertised. But what they saw did not enrich their lives. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. They were embarrassed. And then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God. Wow. Ideas have consequences. And those consequences can be fatal. From verse 7 on, we read about the aftershocks of disobedience. There's shame and guilt and fear and blame and paradise is lost. And it would soon be followed by homicide and ultimately genocide and along the way the Son of God hanging on a cross. Well, that wasn't part of the deal. That's not what we wanted. Talk about unintended consequences. What a scam. They heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden and they hid from the Lord God. And we've been hiding ever since. It was a disaster. Satan had lied to them. Now, a mistake that serious you only make once, right? At least Satan was busted. No consequences. Are you serious? Every ambulance, every hospital, every funeral home, every cemetery exposes Satan's lies. Nobody would ever believe him again. Would you use Bertie Madoff to be your financial advisor? Satan's credibility was utterly destroyed. Nobody would ever believe him again. If only that was the case. Unfortunately, this is still one of the enemy's most successful scams. In fact, it's become so common that in 2004, it turned into an acronym, FOMO, F-O-M-O. After all this time, we are still susceptible to FOMO-phobia, FOMO, the fear of missing out. In the Oxford Dictionary, it says, FOMO, noun, the anxiety that an exciting or interesting event may be happening elsewhere 
often aroused by posts seen on social media. Tony Reinke writes, that's why we're always refreshing the feeds on our iPhone. The next tweet might change your life. It could be Ryan Gosling asking you for a date. Fomophobia, the fear of missing out. And that's the basis of Madison Avenue advertising. Every commercial on TV is telling us that we're missing out because our car isn't fast enough and our TV isn't big enough and our lashes aren't long enough and how come you haven't tried the new bacon-flavored Mountain Dew yet? <laughs> There's so much here you haven't experienced yet. It's all part of life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Don't miss out on that. Do you ever feel deprived, left out, that you got less than your share? Some people act as if life owes them something or God owes them something. Well, Satan wants you to know that you are absolutely right. God is holding out on you. He's not giving you what you're entitled to. A better job, a better career, bigger salary, better health, a better marriage, better family, better reputation, better opportunities. All of that is available to you, but God is not going to do anything about it. That's why Satan is prepared to make you an offer you can't refuse. Incidentally, what has Satan been offering you? For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. We still hear Satan's defiant exhortation today. Come on, Eve. You go, girl. Assert yourself. Come on, Adam. Demand your rights. Be whatever you want to be. Yes, we can. And all of that sounds good. But don't forget that when this idea was first introduced the consequences were disastrous. It's like that uh, road. The only road that you will not find on Google Maps. It's a road that's mentioned in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 14, 12. There is a road that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. You know, there's something about entitlement or enlightenment apart from God, about entitlement and emancipation and exaltation that seems right. But it's a dead end. The Gospels show us a better way. Last time we looked at Matthew 16, where Jesus began to reveal the plan of salvation to his disciples. It says in verse 21 that from that time on, this is when Jesus began to talk about this. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. That must have been shocking to hear. And Simon Peter, the quiet one, the one who is not very outspoken, 
simply couldn't remain silent any longer, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. He said, never, Lord, this will never happen to you. There's no way. It's inconceivable. Peter didn't want any harm to come to Jesus. Never, Lord. Peter's words overflowed from a loving heart, but there was something toxic in the rebuttal. In verse 23, Jesus turned to Peter. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Jesus recognized this was a paraphrase of the same lie that Satan told Eve. You will not surely die. Never, Lord, this will never happen to you. It was another attempt to sabotage the plan and purpose of God. Stop short of the cross. You can, you can heal, you can preach, you can have crowds coming, but the cross is not necessary. We don't need to go that far. And then Jesus said in verse 24 to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. In our self-driven culture that encourages us to assert ourselves, Christ calls us to deny ourselves. That's radical. To pick up a cross? Do you know what a cross is? A cross is the last thing that you want to do. A cross is a thing that you fear the most. The cross is the most painful experience you'll ever have in your life. The cross will break your heart. And Jesus says, that's what I want you to pick up. And then you follow me. In a fallen world where the highest goal is the pursuit of happiness, the Bible points us in another direction, towards the pursuit of holiness. And there's a big difference. In verse 25, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul, or what can he give in exchange for his soul? For decades, Satan has uh, attempted to arouse my self-pity by showing me all the people who have a better life than I do, better opportunities. That's why I can't stand Rick Steves. Have you seen him on TV? On PBS? Rick Steves Europe? That's not fair. How does one guy get a whole continent? Don't tell people you're traveling to Germany. You're going to Rick Steves Europe. I think he gets a hefty commission. Now, Rick Steves is this pleasant guy with no personality who does his shows from Paris and Rome and Barcelona like some kind of big shot. And he shows you the Colosseum and, and the Eiffel Tower and Sagrada Familia. And then he sits in this cafe eating pastry and chats with some local resident. It's disgusting. I can't watch that show. It makes me angry. 
Because it's not fair. How did he get that job and not me? Why didn't I ever, why was I never offered that opportunity? Well, it must be because of aesthetics. They tell me I have a great face for radio. <laughs> and that's probably mainly because I need an eyebrow transplant. So I'm waking, waiting for a donor. But I don't like Rick Steves. And he's just one name on the list. There's a whole bunch of people who have had opportunities I've never had. Jungle Jack Hanna. David Attenborough. Max Lucado. It's not fair. So I could feel sorry for myself until I become absolutely miserable. But I'm not. In fact, I'm not only content, I feel privileged. And it wasn't because God improved my circumstances. He didn't. What he did was he gave me Jesus. In the Old Testament, when the Hebrews conquered the promised land, the tribes were assigned a portion of that as their inheritance. And every tribe got a significant piece of real estate, which actually generated a lot of complaints. To illustrate this, I, I hate to do this, but I, I, I don't want to bring up painful memories unnecessarily, but let me take you back to your childhood, the family dinner, when after the meal it was time for dessert. And mom would bring out this delicious pie, and she would slice it up and, and give you this big piece. And it was just great. It was great until you noticed that your brother or your sister got an even bigger piece than you did. Well, that's not fair. And then the drama began. He always gets a bigger piece. Well, that complaint can be traced all the way back to the days of Joshua when each tribe got a portion of the promised land. It was great until they noticed that the other tribe got an even bigger piece than they did. And there was one tribe that didn't get any piece at all. Everybody got some of the land except the tribe of Levi. Now that certainly wasn't fair. Why was God holding out on them? Well, there was a reason. The Levites didn't get any land because the Lord was their portion. The Levites were assigned to serve in the tabernacle and in the temple. They were in the, the courtyard, in the holy place, and in the holy of holies. They were people privileged to be in the presence of God. That was their portion. Wow, that is powerful. And that idea not only became a deterrent to materialism and greed, it sustained them in difficult and desperate times. In Psalm 73, 26, it says, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. How can you feel deprived if the Lord is your portion? After Jerusalem had been destroyed and all was lost, Jeremiah stood among the ruins and he declared in Lamentations 3.24, I remember my affliction 
the bitterness and the gall, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I will call to mind, and therefore I have hope. His compassions never fail. They're new every morning. The Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. That conviction is still as powerful today, if only we would realize it. In an age of entitlement, we need to reaffirm the testimony of John the Baptist, who said in John 3.30, he must increase, I must decrease. And when our culture shouts, yes, we can, we reply by saying, he is able. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. Another follower of Jesus summarized his life this way in Philippians 3, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. You know, it's sort of a strange thing because you cannot add Christ to all the other stuff that's valuable to you. It diminishes his worth. The only way you can really appreciate the worth of Christ is when you give up all these other things that are so important to you. And the more you give up, the greater the value of Christ will become in your life. That's what you call denying yourself. How do you tempt someone with those kinds of values? Paul certainly did not make the mistake of underestimating Christ. Jim Elliott, the missionary who was killed by the tribe he was trying to reach with the gospel, once wrote this, He is no fool who gives up what he can't keep to gain what he cannot lose. The Lord is my portion. So if we practice the habit of denying ourselves, of decreasing our desires for this world by increasing our desire for Jesus, we will discover that we are not deprived, that God is not holding out on us. In verse 27, for the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and he will reward each person according to what he has done. You see, when God gave you Jesus, he gave you 10% of everything he had. Imagine having 10% of what God has. But that's not true. He didn't give you 10%. He gave you 100% of what he has when he gave you Jesus. God has no more than that. That's the whole thing. Romans chapter 8, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? You see how powerful the truth is? How the truth destroys the things that are only partly true? Truth is the most powerful force 
in the world. In fact, it's the most powerful force in the universe because Jesus said in Matthew 25, 24, 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. When you're nourished on the truth of God's word, you develop an allergy to the myths and scams and the ideas that are only partly true. And instead, you develop an ability to appraise the truth that is more precious than gold. And you develop an appetite for the words that are sweeter than honey from the honeycomb. Because by them is thy servant warned. And in keeping of them, there is great reward. God is not holding out on you. He gave you Jesus, the Lord, is your portion. Amen? Amen? Father, how could you give us so much? It's just absolutely mind-boggling. We are just overwhelmed by your grace and your mercy. But we will take everything you give us. We don't want to settle for anything less than what you want us to have. And we thank you that our portion is Jesus, our Lord. And Lord, thank you that uh, this table that we are now going to gather around reminds us of that. We're different. We're not the people we used to be. We don't think as man thinks. We are learning to think as you think. We have been changed. We are new creations. The old is gone. The new has come. Because Jesus loved us so much that he died on the cross to forgive us and to give us the offer of new life, to be born again into his likeness. Thank you that we can celebrate that this morning at this table. And thank you that we can do this as a church family. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.